How do we fit the reality of the persecutions that some Christians face with the fact that Jesus is the ascended Lord, reigning unseen on the throne of heaven, who has poured out his Holy Spirit on his disciples to empower them in his service? Our Heavenly Father, please help us by your Holy Spirit at work among us to understand, believe, and obey your living word. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. Last weekend we hosted a meeting to mark the 20th anniversary of Barnabas Fund. And Patrick Sukdeo, who is the International Director of Barnabas Fund, preached here last Sunday morning. Some of you will have heard him. For those who didn't and who are unfamiliar with the work of the Fund, it supports persecuted Christians and churches around the world and seeks to keep other parts of the church informed about what is going on. And what's clear as a result of their work and that of other similar organisations is that the church around the world is often under the most severe pressure. So what are we to make of that? And not least, on this Pentecost Sunday, how do we fit the reality of the persecutions that some Christians face with the fact that Jesus is the ascended Lord, reigning unseen on the throne of heaven, who has poured out his Holy Spirit on his disciples, to empower them in his service. Well, the book of Acts helps us to get our thinking straight, and when our thinking is straight, then how we react will be on the right lines as and when the time comes, when we face these kind of situations in one way or another ourselves. This evening, then, we come to Acts 21, 27 to 36, that we heard earlier. It's there on page 931 in the church Bibles. My title is The Arrest of Paul, because that's what this section is about. And you'll find my outline there on the back of the service sheet, so please have that open uh, in front of you as well. And as you can see from that, I want to make five points that arise from Paul's experience here. These are all things that, as it were, we need to store away in our hearts and our minds, in our thinking, so that when we need them, they can shape our responses to situations we encounter and that we see others encountering. So first of all, faithful witness to Christ can be met by fierce opposition. Let's remind ourselves of the situation here. Paul has gone to Jerusalem. He wanted to report back on what had been going on as he traveled around the Mediterranean world planting churches, strengthening the believers. He wanted to encourage the church in Jerusalem. He wanted to take whatever opportunities arose to bear witness to the work that Christ had done in his life. You might remember that Paul had been warned by the Holy Spirit that this was not going to be any kind of holiday. Back in Acts chapter 20, uh, just uh, back one page if you want to look at that, Acts 20 verses 22 to 24... Paul had told 
the elders of the church in Ephesus this, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. His friends had tried to persuade him not to go, but Paul was having none of it. He had not backed off despite what he knew was in store for him. It's impressive that. I wonder how you would have reacted in such a situation and with such knowledge about what was in store. I wonder how I would react. Not that he was provocative or aggressive. He had been as accommodating as possible to the Jews who opposed him. He understood them. He'd been one of them. But that didn't stop fierce opposition. The fact is that widespread opposition can get stirred up by a hostile minority. That hostile minority often misrepresents the true situation. False inferences about what's going on are drawn from innocent facts. And at times, as here, that hostile minority can use physical aggression to trigger mob violence. Faithful witness to Christ can be met by fierce opposition. Secondly, an inflamed crowd is potentially lethal. I don't know if you've ever seen on film one of those demonstrations of how quickly and dangerously a fire can spread if, say, a match is put to a curtain or a sofa and it catches fire. Ferocious persecution can get going in that kind of way. Listen again to how the fire of persecution took hold and spread. So this is Acts 21 from verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, never mind what that's about except to say it's actually Paul trying to placate his enemies by showing that he's a good Jew, bending over backwards to be gentle towards them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who's teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. A susceptible crowd can be manipulated into an outbreak of mob violence. Individuality is swept up as the crowd is stirred to anger. Then the human herd acts as one, losing all rationality, dehumanizing its victims. So an angry and irrational crowd can become murderous. Paul found himself 
becoming subject to increasingly extreme violence. They laid hands on him, seized him, dragged him out, sought to kill him, began the process of beating him to death. That was the intention. When I was at Theological College in the mid-1980s, Vivian and I became acquainted with a young couple from Rwanda in East Africa, Alphonse and Tassien Karuhije. Alphonse was an Anglican clergyman. He was doing postgraduate theological study before returning back to Rwanda to take up a senior post. In fact, he became the dean of Kigali Cathedral. A few years later, in 1994, that terrible genocide occurred in Rwanda in which a million people were slaughtered in a frenzied bloodbath. I only found out some years later that Alphonse was one of those who had been hacked to death. He was helping to harbor moderate Hutus and Tutsis in an attempt to protect them from the violence that had been unleashed all around. Thinking back to theological college days, I remember very well his warm smile and gentle godliness. He would tell us about the beauty of his fertile and peaceful country. We would not have believed you for a moment if you had told us then what would become of him and that Tassien would be left widowed. Just as none of us here this evening really think that any of us will fall victim to the lethal attentions of an inflamed crowd. But however apparently peaceful our present circumstances, we should be under no illusions that it could happen. Some of us here could be killed in violent persecution. Let's pray that it won't happen. But we're not immune any more than Alphonse was immune. An inflamed crowd is potentially lethal. Thirdly, a rampaging mob is not beyond God's control. Let's pick up the sequence of events from where we got to. Here's verse 31 again and what follows. And as they were seeking to kill him, Paul, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he'd done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. God protects his servants. Sometimes he does that by protecting them through suffering. He does not stop it, but he brings them through it. That kind of protection might even require resurrection. And sometimes God protects his servants from suffering. In his wisdom, he does decide to stop it. And God's providence is wonderful to watch at work. His timing is immaculate. Just as the crowd 
were seeking to kill Paul, word got through to the Roman commander. And then it's a kind of race before Paul actually dies as a consequence of his beating. It's edge-of-the-seat stuff, like watching a Bourne film or something like that. They get there in the nick of time. Paul is made safe by the pagan power. The same army that crucified Jesus literally carries Paul into the security of the barracks out of the reach of his would-be killers. God can do what he likes, when he wants, using whoever he decides. He protects his servants, sometimes through suffering, sometimes from it. D.E. Host took over from Hudson Taylor as the leader of the China Inland Mission. His biography records just such a time. I quote, the Boxer Rising of 1900 will never be forgotten in the history of the China Inland Mission. From all parts of the country, missionaries and their children sought to escape, many of them enduring incredible hardships as they traveled hundreds of miles to the coast. That so many came through alive was little short of miraculous. But for some, was reserved the high honor of sealing their testimony with their blood. And before the terrible rising was eventually suppressed, 58 members of the mission and 21 children had been brutally murdered. What must have been the horror and anguish of heart of those living at the mission headquarters in Shanghai, as they received report after report of fellow workers being heartlessly assaulted and massacred, it is impossible to imagine the forces of evil seemed let loose and blow after blow fell as news came through of those in the interior who had been trapped and done to death. There is that mysterious combination of brutal murder and miraculous rescue. Some find themselves like the great evangelist John Wesley. He always spoke of himself as a brand plucked from the burning after he was rescued from their burning home as a child. His mother was convinced that he had been spared to be used by God, and so it proved. Whatever the outcome of persecution, God remains in charge. Even a rampaging mob is not beyond his control. So sometimes he rescues. But, fourthly, followers of Jesus can find themselves sharing in his sufferings. It's worth noting the Christ-likeness of Paul's sufferings here. We've already seen the contrast between Paul and Jesus as the Roman soldiers who crucified Jesus rescue Paul. But the similarities are notable as well. The scene is Jerusalem. Jesus is accused of seeking to destroy the temple. Paul is accused of defiling the temple. In both cases, the mob is stirred up by the Jewish leaders. The crowd cry out to Pilate about Jesus, crucify him. The mob cry out to the tribune about Paul, away with him. This pattern points to the fact that Paul suffers as one who is following in the footsteps of his master. It is normal Christian discipleship to share in some way in the sufferings of Jesus. We need to be ready for that.
And we need to be confident that God gives the grace we need when we need it, beyond our capacity, because we share not only in the sufferings of Jesus, but in his spirit too. And the Holy Spirit never allows such suffering to be in vain. So finally and fifthly, the Holy Spirit who inspires faithful witness also ensures that it is fruitful. The accusation that's thrown at Paul is itself a remarkable testimony to the way that the Holy Spirit made Paul's witness effective. His enemies hated him. They were doing all they could to silence him. But they themselves said about him, this is verse 28, this is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere. He is teaching everyone everywhere. That's how they assess his impact. The gospel of Christ is unstoppable. The Holy Spirit makes sure of that. The very ferocity of the opposition to Paul is a testament to the effectiveness of his evangelism. The reason they were attacking Paul and trying to destroy him was that his work was working. And in the light of that, one of the most encouraging things today is that in so many different areas of the world, the church is being ferociously persecuted. That must be happening because the word is spreading through the church's witness and the world that stands opposed to Christ can see it. That's not comfortable, not least for those on the sharp end of the attacks, but it is encouraging. The Barnabas Fund prayer diary for tomorrow has this. Pray for five Christian families in Vietnam who've endured repeated violent attacks by their fellow, by their fellow villagers since becoming Christians. The families who came to Christ in 2012 have since suffered three waves of violence, the most recent taking place between the 18th and the 22nd of February. During this period, their homes and belongings were vandalized in, a succe in successive night raids. On the 22nd of February, a number of believers were physically assaulted, leaving several of them with serious injuries. One family fled into the jungle after receiving death threats. Pray that the Lord will be the strength and shield that our brothers and sisters need as they endure persecution in his name. Let's be praying for them and others like them. But pray with confidence. The long-term impact of witness for Christ may very well not be apparent in the heat of the moment. But note this too about what God is doing with Paul. This process of Paul falling into the hands of the Roman authorities, as he does here, ends up being all part of God's mysterious way of getting Paul to the very heart of the establishment of the empire, first in that province and later in the capital city itself, Rome. God uses these attacks on Paul to bring about his own purposes. And there's nothing new about that that is typical of the way that the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit who inspires faithful witness also makes sure that it is fruitful and it is effective. Let's bow our heads to pray.
Heavenly Father, please keep us faithful. Give us confidence that you are in control. Help us to be faithful in prayer for our brothers and sisters who suffer for their faith in Christ. Help us to be faithful in our own witness, whatever the consequences might be, that your word would spread and your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen.